All right. Good morning. Good morning. Come on. Now everybody doing all right today? You guys good? All right. I can tell you're mad because it's spring break and you're not anywhere else but here. Now, you can always tell who the real Christians are. Spring break weekend. Come on now. Real Christians are in the house. You're either a real Christian, you're either a real Christian, uh, or you didn't have a plan, or you don't have kids, or you're broke. That, those are your options. Come on now. But we're in church, and it's good to be here. If I haven't met you, my name's James. So glad if you're visiting with us today. We're in this series, second week. Nothing new. Everybody say nothing new. What we're talking about in this is how the principles, biblical principles that we could have, we did learn and have learned from figures in the Bible that happened thousands of years ago, these principles of life, they still apply today. They're still relevant to today's life and the things that we need to learn and, and grow in. Last week we talked about Jacob, and this week we're going to talk about Samson. And we're going to talk about how you can lose your spiritual strength in time. I find that a lot of Christians, they start off really, really strong in their walk. I know for me, uh, at different seasons in my life, when I'd have like those revivals in my personal walk with God, you know, you went to summer camp or something like that, and you came back, and you're on the mountaintop, and everything's going great. But over time, you can start to lose a little bit of that energy, a little bit of that strength. You can come weary, and I've seen Christians get to a place where they faint, where they get waylaid by something that happens in life, and before you know it, they're completely out of the race that God has set before them. Back in my 20s, I was leading a leadership school called Cadre Academy. And one of the things we do in this school uh, was a really physically demanding program. And we would teach these students and train these students how to do an Ironman distance. Okay, If you don't know what that is, it's two and a half miles swimming, 112 miles biking, finished off with a marathon. Okay, Pretty, pretty tough stuff. One of the things that would happen is we would teach them how to make sure that they are getting enough nutrients, that they're getting enough water, they're getting enough calories, they're getting enough all of all that before and during the race. Because anybody that does any amount of endurance sports, you know that if you're not feeding your body what it needs during the race, you can do what's called bonking. And that is where your body just basically starts to shut down. And, the, and it's an interesting dynamic to watch and uh, at different points I would see these students get to a place where they begin to bonk and basically what happens is your mind is working totally fine but your body just says nah I'm done no more I'm not doing this anymore and I remember watching some of these students and it was amazing stuff guys I mean it is amazing what the Lord can do in you and through you in your physical body if you just set yourself to it. Because some of these students that did these Ironman distances, they are not people that you would ever imagine would be doing Ironman distances. But I would watch this dynamic happen as they're coming to the end of this thing and they're in the last couple of miles and their bodies begin to shut down and they're trying to will themselves forward. But I thought instead of trying to describe it, I found this is an old video and it's not high quality, but this is one of the most famous instances of runners, racers, bonking. This is at the end of an Ironman. These two ladies, this is what it looks like when you begin to bonk, okay? This is what it looks like.
kind of funny, kind of not. But here's the thing. I have seen people in their walk with God get to that point. Going so strong, things going so well, and then before you know it, they're out of the race. Now, those ladies actually finished. But I've seen people not finish. I've seen people get to the place. And the thing is, you don't necessarily see this coming. You can be feeling really, really good. Anybody that does any marathon running, a lot of times you get to mile 20. Those last six miles, man, that's when everything can fall apart on you. And you can be feeling great up to that point. The question is this. How are you going to finish your race strong? Because I promise you, the enemy, he has a plan for your life. This is what it says in Ephesians 6.10. This is the Living Bible Translation. Your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Everybody say, within me. But put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand against all the strategies and tricks of Satan. Satan has a strategy and a plan to sap you of your spiritual strength over the course of your life. And if you want an example, you can just go to the example of Samson. Because this is a guy. He, f- he started his race really, really strong. And you can find the whole story in Judges chapter 13 through 16. Uh, Samson was like the terminator of the Bible. I mean, this guy was a bad dude. And, and physically speaking, strength-wise, I mean, he's like the rock, Dwayne Johnson of the Bible. But morally... And in his character, uh, he, uh, just picture the, one of the most morally depraved people in your life. And that's how he was built on the inside. He didn't necessarily start that way. I mean, he started with a lot of things going for him. Uh, he's smart, gifted, great parents, big talents, big strength, favor of God on him. In fact, Jesus had personally visited his parents. And he's good looking. So definitely one of those people that would rub you the wrong way, you know, like the total package, the kind of people that just annoy you because they're smart and good-looking and everything else, you know, just the kind of people you don't really want to hang out with. But that's who this guy was. And he was doing really, really well, but then some things started to happen in his life, some decisions that he started to make began to take his spiritual strength away. I want you to write this down. Whatever you do not let The cross overcome in your life will eventually overcome you. Whatever you don't let the cross overcome in your life, it will eventually overcome you. I think there's three lessons, there's three different areas that I think that Samson struggled with that I think we can learn from. And if we can apply the principles through these things, it'll help us stay out of that place where our spiritual strength begins to get sapped by the enemy. You'll begin to steal your joy unless you can apply the principles that we're going to talk about today. First thing is this. A lack of temperance will drain your strength. Now, this is one of the biggest things that our culture deals with, and so I just thought we'd go to this first. And really what we're talking about is an undisciplined lifestyle. When you just live by your feelings, just by whatever works for you, Samson would indulge in anything that his flesh wanted. He was constantly in that place. Let me ask you this question. Does our culture encourage us to indulge ourselves in whatever we want? You better believe it. I mean, just look at every commercial out there. 
Every commercial is promoting whatever you need to get for yourself, get it. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you feel whole, go and get those things. Go after those things. Even good things become harmful if there's not balance. I mean, there are things that are given by God, these incredible gifts, but if you don't have temperance in these areas, it'll wind up costing you at some point or another. Good things like food. How many of you guys like some food in the house? Amen? Sleep. But too much sleep, it'll catch up with you. Sex. Praise God for that. But too much of it, it'll cause damage in your life. Some of the guys are like, no, uh no, I don't even know what you're talking about. But if you give yourself over to the lust of it, it can destroy your life. Too much of anything can wind up causing damage and destruction in your life. And just because you want something does not mean that you should have it. Everything in temperance. Samson's weakness was women. It was very, very clear. He could not tell himself no when it came to women. This dude was totally controlled by his glands and not by his convictions. And so he would run in and out of relationship, one after another. In the course of three chapters, three different women, where he is completely uncommitted, struggles with having commitment. Anybody know anybody like that, where they just run in and out of relationships, have a difficult time committing to anything or to anyone? In Judges 14, it says this, Samson went down to Timnah. Everybody say Timnah. Now, here's the interesting thing. This name, Timnah, translated means the wrong place. That should be his first hint. But he still goes there. He saw a young Philistine woman, and when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, the wrong place. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your own people? Another way to say this is, isn't there a woman who's a believer like we believe? Isn't there someone that would be more evenly yoked with you that you should go after, that you should pursue? Must you go to the Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. In the literal Hebrew translation, the right one. The King James Version says, she pleases me. She's pleasurable. He saw her. She's like, I've got to have her. New International Version says, she looked good to me. The B.C. Bennett translation is, oh, yeah. But in all those cases, he's being led by pleasure, but not by principle. He's being driven by what he sees and what he feels, but not by his convictions. Because here's the thing. He had made a commitment before God that he would not marry an unbeliever. He made the same commitment to his parents. But here he is. As soon as he sees something that is pleasurable to the eye, he's pursuing this thing. I can't tell you how many people I've seen completely lose their calling, their ministry, their purpose in God because of this very thing. It's heartbreaking, honestly. Where they're going so well, and all of a sudden, they start noticing this person. And the worst thing is the person starts noticing them too. 
And they start being led by what they think is going to be pleasurable instead of by the principles that they'd establish in their life. But I will say this. This is a slow fade. You can write this down. Nobody just jumps off the cliff of character. Nobody just jumps off. Like one day just like I was doing really well. I had strong character and then I just jumped. Nobody just jumps off of the cliff of character. They slowly shuffle towards it. They slowly just get closer and closer. Until one day before they know it, they're, they're already at the edge. And then all it takes is a gentle wind. And they're gone. And that's what I see happen in person after person after person. I don't know anybody that just woke up one day and said, I just want to be in an all-out, full-blown, adulterous affair today. No, it started earlier on by allowing themselves to not have temperance in different areas of their life. He says, I've got to have her. He's thinking, look, and, and here's the justification. It's just one time. It's not that big of a deal. I can always come back later. It's not really hurting anyone else. And he uses excuses and justification for it. But this is what it says in Galatians 6, 7. Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will reap just what kind of crop he sows. And if he sows to please his own desire, he will be planting seeds of evil and surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And this is a fact of life. And here's the lie of the enemy. It's just one area of your life. Everything else is going great. You're, 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 you're a great dad. Or you're a great mom. or You do really well at work. You're a great friend. And you just say, it's just this one area. Here's the principle. To stay strong, you must bring discipline to your desires. Because it isn't going to be just one area. Imagine if you went with your family and you're getting together with some friends. And you're going to go out on the lake. Okay, It's almost lake season. I know you guys are looking forward to that. We'll see you after the summer, I guess. Uh, but, but imagine if you went out with some friends. You're going to go out on the lake. And you're going to go out for a couple days. You've got a houseboat. So you're going to go out for a few days, and they're inviting you and your family to come on the boat. But the guy that owns the boat, as you're coming on the boat, you've pushed out. You say, guys, it's going to be a great few days. It's going to be awesome. want to let you know, we just have one hole in the boat. Just one. It's just one. But it's just one hole. It's just one hole. It's about that big, but we've got duct tape, so we're good. I mean, we should be good to go. It's no big deal. Eventually, it will sink. Even if it's just one hole. There's a hole in your life that I promise you, it's going to sink your life if you don't address it. And here's the deal. It's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect everyone around you too. It will hurt other people too. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 2 says, Strengthen yourselves with Christ's way of thinking. Live your lives controlled by God's will, not by human desires. Number two, uncontrolled anger will drain you of your strength. Uncontrolled anger. 
Samson lived a life of constant anger. He reacted violently in every situation he was involved with. His primary motivation in life wind up being revenge. Didn't start off that way, but that's how it wind up ending. In one of the stories, he actually killed 30 men just to get even on a bet. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to hang out around someone like that. They would just go off, just pop off, go crazy like that. He was a violent, angry, bitter, resentful person. And there's so many verses that back this up. In fact, in chapter 15, there's a series of just a few verses. And in these series of verses, he says this type of thinking over and over again. Samson said to them, this time I have the right to get even with the Philistines and I'll really harm them. The right. Justice. It's right for me to be able to be angry, to get revenge, to be resentful. Verse 7, he says this, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge. Since you did that, now I'm going to do this. Verse 11, I merely did what they did to me. And all of us have been in this place. His excuse is, look, they hurt me first. It's only right. It's fair for me to be angry, for me to be resentful, for me to get revenge on them. Being a reactor like Samson will sap you of your strength in life. It'll take away your energy when you react rather than respond to the circumstances that you're faced with. Job 18.4 says this, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. Resentment and anger is a waste. It's a waste because you're spending your time in the past where you can't change anything. So you're spending your time and your energy Focusing on something that you can no longer do anything about. And that will take away your energy, but it takes away way more than that. You're putting all of your mental focus on that situation, on that person. You ever been driving down the road and you just get angry? Maybe it because of some, uh, how someone is driving. That one person that doesn't understand what, what the slow lane is and the fast lane is. So you get up behind them and they're in the fast lane, but they're going the speed limit. I mean, what kind of an idiot doesn't understand how this works, right? But you get in behind them and you're frustrated and you're mad. And so you start thinking about, oh, man, if I could talk to you, mm, all the things I'd say. And you start rehearsing this. You start talking about this out loud in your car. And then eventually they move over and you start going around them. And you look over to realize they couldn't care less. That you were mad and upset. They're just in their car jamming out to Caleb during a pledge drive. Not a care in the world. <laughs> but you just spent all of your creativity, all of your mental focus, all of your time and energy 
thinking about what you would say to them if given the chance. Resentment and anger is stupid. It does nothing but keep you distracted and allows the enemy to sap spiritual strength. Trust me, your creativity and your mental capacity cannot be wasted on those types of things. It needs to be focused on one thing, and that's forward, and that's on the kingdom, and that's on what God wants you to do, and on who God wants you to be. And anger and resentment will keep you distracted and take your energy away from pursuing those things. One time Samson was so mad. You read over this stuff. Sometimes you can read past this stuff too fast and not realize exactly what it's saying. It says that one time he was so mad at the Philistines. Oh, he's just so mad. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to go catch 300 foxes and then I'm going to tie their tails together and then I'm going to put torches, yeah, on those foxes' tails and then I'm going to send them into the Philistines' wheat fields and try to mess up their economy. <laughs> so you start reading over this how long would it have taken to catch 300 foxes? Like, I'm not a pet person, but if I had to chase something around for like more than two minutes, I'd just be like, I'm done. I just. But this just, it's ridiculous. Okay, first of all, if you want to be efficient, why do you need to tie the two foxes together? You got 300. 300 is better than 150. But anyway, he's not thinking that way. He's just. Angry, frustrated, like a four-year-old child. I remember when, when Corbin was younger, he would just get so mad, so frustrated, so worked up, just turning red and hyperventilating. And then we'd be trying to process with him, like, like Corbin, you need to settle down. Why are you so mad? Reeves, Reeves just makes me so naughty sometimes. That's what he would say. He just makes me so naughty sometimes. But anger causes you to act like an idiot. You don't think straight. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish senseless thing to do. Ah. Child psychologists would say that a child receives trauma every time they encounter anger, whether they're just the, whether the recipient of that anger or they're just observing the anger happening. They receive the trauma the same way. Okay, so let me be totally vulnerable. I have struggled with anger. Uh, when I first got married, when Cody and I first got married, and I didn't even necessarily realize it, but I had some major anger issues. At one point, we, we got a puppy. And that puppy grew quick. And one day, the UPS man delivered some of our college books to our house, but put them in reach of the dog. And we came home and 600 bucks worth of books were confetti all over the front yard. And I went and I grabbed that dog 
by the neck, lifted him up, pinned him against the house, and was yelling and screaming at a lab. (laughs) Until I realized what I was doing and realized I'm not ready for children anytime soon. And I looked around and saw Cody's face. And she was traumatized. So we bought a love fern instead and just kind of waited and cultivated that relationship until. But there's been times since having kids. Any of the men, you ever been up in the attic? Any men ever been up in the attic having to get some stuff down from the attic before? It may be above the house, but it is hell. I don't hate Christmas. I hate getting Christmas out of the attic. That's what I hate. But there was one time I was up there and I'm getting stuff out and I hit my head. Can I get an amen for my brothers in the house? Come on now. I hit my head on some support beam or something like that. And this is how my anger has progressed. I don't get angry at living things anymore. I get angry at inanimate objects now. So I hit my head on the beam and I start kicking and punching it and yelling and screaming at it. Like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to rip you out of this. I'm going to burn you in a fire. I turn around. Two of my kids are watching me. Proverbs 22, 29, a hot-tempered man will always get into trouble. (laughs) Number three, being casual with spiritual commitments will drain you of your strength. Being casual with spiritual commitments will drain you of your strength. The fact is, wherever you are casual or careless... You're already weak in that area, and it's going to catch up to you over time. Wherever you're casual or careless, so with your health, how you eat, how you sleep, how you exercise, if you're careless in that area, eventually it's going to catch up to you. With your finances, with how you spend, with how you save, with how you give, if you're careless... It's going to catch up with you. With your words. If you're careless. With your words. On Facebook. It will catch up to you. It's going to catch up to you. Samson was way too casual with his commitment to God. He was very, very casual. But the fact was, it was his commitment to God that gave him his strength. In fact, I'm not even convinced, honestly, that this big, bowed-up, ripped dude that we put in Christian cartoons and up on the felt boards that we were growing up watching, that he actually even looked like that. Because it says the Philistines could not gather or understand where he got his strength from. So it probably wasn't his biceps. He had this supernatural strength, but his strength came from his commitment to God. His strength came... Because he had a Nazarite vow between him and God. 
This is what that vow meant. It meant no alcohol for his whole life. No alcohol. The second part of it was he had a special diet. He ate different foods than anybody else. He had a special diet. And the third thing was he was never going to cut his hair. And this was going to be a daily reminder that he belonged to God. But in every one of these areas, he would toy with his commitment. His mentality was, how close can I get to the fire without getting burned? And so he'd push the envelope in every area. And he broke all of these commitments. And the most famous one was the last one when he was with Delilah. In Judges 16, 15, it says, Then she said to him, how can, I, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time that you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Men, look straight forward right now. I promise you, that is the greatest wisdom I can give you. Look straight forward. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Keep your eyes on the cross. So he told her everything. He told her everything. Here's the question I have for you. What voice are you listening to that is slowly but surely chipping away at your spirit person? What voices do you listen to every day that are slowly but surely sapping the strength that God has given you? And let me clue you in, it's probably not your spouse. There's a chance though, it's that one show that doesn't sit right in your spirit, but you've been binge watching it. And every time you watch it, it's a voice that is slowly but surely chipping away at your spiritual strength. It could just be a negative relationship that you get together with this person talk about everything that is negative, everything that is wrong in life, and that is slowly but surely sapping you of your spiritual energy in life. What voice are you listening to? What's that voice that's slowly but surely taking away from your identity in Christ? Verse 20 says, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll just go out as before and shake myself free. This is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Whew. And this is exactly what it will be like for those who, who don't understand and don't see what the enemy is up to. You see, when the Lord leaves you, he leaves quietly. He leaves quietly. One day you'll just, you'll wake up and you realize, where did you go? I didn't even know, I didn't know that you left me. It's his presence. The truth is he hasn't left you. But what you've been putting your identity is blocking you from knowing that he's there. you can get to that place it'd be a real bummer if the story ended there he winds up getting humiliated verse 21 the Philistines seized him gorged his eyes out took him down to Gaza bound him with bronze shackles and they set him grinding in prison 
talk about Debbie Downer. Like, but it didn't end there because at the end, on his last day, he cried out to God. And you can see this Old Testament demonstration of God's grace. greatest thing that Samson ever did in his life came right after his greatest failure. God gave him a chance. God gave him grace. And I want you to know that that grace is available. No matter how far down the road you've gotten towards this thing, because I know that some of you, you feel like, man, you feel like God is disgusted with you feel like God is just putting up with you? Like if you do make it to heaven, he's just going to put you off in a corner somewhere where you don't bother anyone? And that just isn't the case. He hasn't liked you walking down this path. It's broken his heart. This anger and resentment that's in your life It's like you drinking poison and waiting for that other person to die. And he wants to set you free from that. This lack of discipline and temperance in these different phases and areas of your life. Not being strong in your spiritual commitments towards him. The problem is though, you're heaving condemnation on yourself now. And that's condemnation that Jesus took to the cross. And if there's condemnation in your life, it is there illegally now. There's a great verse in Ephesians, chapter one, verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us. That word lavish, it means to bestow in extravagant quantities upon, way beyond what would be necessary. His grace is lavished upon you. His mercy is new every morning. God is not surprised when I fail. He knows what I'm made of. He's not surprised when I fail. And when I do, he's waiting there. He's never stopped loving you. He's never given up on you. He wants to lavish his grace and love upon you. This last week, we had our father-daughter ball. It was pretty cool. Um, and, and there was a lot of bad dancing. And uh, a lot of bad dancing. But this is the cool thing about it, you know. A lot of these daughters, they're not even old enough, probably, that they're even going to remember the experience. Maybe some of them are. I mean, a lot of them probably are. But this is what I loved about it. What I loved about it is you had these dads going out of their way to create this experience where they they got dressed up. They brought flowers. They got a cool car to take or they cleaned their car. They they dressed these girls up in in, in dresses and, and opened doors for them just treated them like they were princesses and then put all their their focus and their energy and their effort on them and who they are. And here's the thing, these little girls haven't earned any of that. It's not because of something they've done, it's because of who they were created to be. 
And what I love about it is, to me, it's like telling my daughters, I know you're never gonna date, but if you do, but if you do, this is the standard. The standard is you deserve to have love and grace and acceptance and encouragement lavished upon you. And that is exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross for you. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. You might be in a place where um, you know that you have been kind of slipping in one of those areas. It may be with your anger, just your resentment. Uh, it may just be in your lack of self-control and discipline in an area of your life. I don't know what it is. But you know that today you need to call on God. You need to call on Jesus. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Come to the end of yourself. Come to that point where you just say, oh, I'm, I'm done. If you're in that place today and you're ready to call on Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'd love to pray with you. If that's you, nobody looking around, would you please put your hand up? And as soon as I see you, put your hand down. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes. There at the back. Yes, sir. Anybody else? I just, I need to call on Jesus today. Some of you, this is a, a rededication of your life. And some of you, this is you giving your life to God for the very first time. And either one, it's, it's the same prayer. And you can say it right there in your chair. It's important you go public with this. So you tell somebody. The word says, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. So right there in your chair, just talk with God. Have an honest conversation with him. Just say, God. I know that I've made a lot of mistakes. I know I can't save myself from my sin, but I believe in my heart that you sent your son Jesus as a perfect sacrifice for my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness today. And I invite you to be my Lord. I want you to have control of my life. I don't wanna live for myself. I don't wanna live according to what the world wants. I wanna live according to your word. I wanna live according to your purpose and your plan for my life. So God, come and have control. Be my Lord and Savior. Be my friend. I need you, Lord. God, I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from your word. I thank you for the testimony of Samson. God, I thank you that, that even though he, he lived a lot of his life selfishly and motivated by things that didn't please you, I thank you that your grace showed up in a mighty way even if it was at the end. But God, I know that it's not your will that we spend one more moment away from your call and away from your purpose. It's not your will that we wait until the very end, until we 
We cry out for your grace. So God, we commit in our hearts that when your Holy Spirit convicts us, when you show us something in our life that's, that's heading in the wrong direction, God, that we'll respond, that we'll repent, that we'll stop and turn away from it and turn towards you and turn towards your plan and back towards your word and back towards the body of Christ. We thank you for that grace. We thank you that that's your will. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise for your grace and for your mercy. Help us to live our lives to the full because of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet right now. If you're thankful for God's word, let's give the Lord a hand this morning. If you're thankful for the word of God.